SequelCast 2 and Friends is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, go to greenlitpodcast.com. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. Clark, I think it's best if everyone just goes home before things get worse. Worse? How could they get any worse? Take a look around you, Ellen. We're at the threshold of hell! After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. Hello and welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a show that looks at movies in a franchise one film at a time. And uh, we're in the middle of looking at the National Lampoon Vacation series with uh, taking a look this time around at National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Directed by Jeremiah Chechik, written by John Hughes, starring Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, Randy Quaid, and uh, as the kids, you have Juliet Lewis and Johnny Galecki. Music by Angelento, Angelo Baldamenti. Cinematography by Thomas E. Ackerman. This came out in the U.S. Uh, December 1st, 1989, with a running time of 97 minutes, off a budget of $25 million, grossed $71 million in the U.S. I'm Matt. With me is Thrasher. And uh, if you want to check out other SequelCast episodes, you can go to the website at SequelCast.com. Or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com sequelcast. Uh, the theme song is written and performed by Mark with the C. Check out his music at markwiththec.com. And uh, the sequelcast is part of the Battleship Pretension podcast fleet. And you can check out uh, sequelcast and other Battleship, Battleship Pretension uh, podcast fleet shows at battleshippretension.com. Hey, Thrasher. Uh, so we're talking about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Was this a Christmas movie in your house? No, it wasn't. This was, for me and my family, this was always a summer movie. The first time I saw this was in the summer of 1990, and it's just that's just always the context I saw it in. Huh, you know, I, I would have seen it when it came out on videotape, I believe like in 92 or something, with some friends of the family, and I got really excited at the beginning. I, I felt, oh, this is a cartoon. You have Santa Claus doing uh, goofy stuff flying around with the reindeer. And then the actual movie started, and I was kind of disappointed. I mean, I knew who Chevy Chase was. I saw Caddyshack when I was in first grade or something, so uh, I, I recognize some of the actors, but it just I was expecting the cartoon from the beginning as a kid. But we well, you know that was a, th- a thing. A lot of uh, family comedies had really impressive animated openings that that never really paid off later in the film. Like uh, the one I, I remember jumping out is the big animated opening of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. In as much as I like that movie, I would much rather see the animated adventures of that credit sequence stretched out to a full. I two don't hours. even remember that having an animated uh, credit sequence, but I haven't seen it uh, since I watched it on videotape back in like 1988 or something. I um, that would be something for sequel cast later on, maybe. I mean, they did a bunch of those Shrunk the Kids movies, huh? They've got three of those and a television oh. series, so we'd have a spinoff to talk Jeez, about. Uh, yep, yep. Well, put that in the back pocket, uh, potentially <laughs> think about it. The sequel cast listeners, what do you think of that as a possibility for a future series? Uh, 
Anyway, well, we'll put that on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast. Uh, Christmas Vacation, what do you think of the kids in this film? You have Juliette Lewis as Audrey and Johnny as Russ. They work, but they don't really leave uh, much of an impression on me. Whenever I think of the Griswold children, for whatever reason, I think of them in uh, European vacation. It's not to say they don't do a bad job. It just, I don't know. They just, they just, they, they don't hook me the same way that uh, Chevy Chase and Cousin Ernie do. Yeah, uh, Cousin Eddie, uh, played by Randy Quaid. Yeah, Eddie. Eddie, there you go. Is is a real hoot. Although it's a while till he comes into this film. Um, a lot of this movie. This is the only vacation movie that shows uh, the character of Clark Griswold, played by Chevy Chase, at his job, you know, at a food additives company. What do you think of all this? All the scenes in the film of him and the beginning of him in the office with his boss, played by Brian Doyle Murray. It's very eighties. Yes, uh, it's, <laughs> it's 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 very eighties, high powered business. Uh, very very sort of eighties. Corporate greed. This was, uh, you know, past the time of the the, the Lincoln savings and loan scandal. Uh, it's also just it just like the more the more I think about it, like I cannot think of a job I would want to have less than uh, than working with food additives, except maybe being a crack whore. But even then, you get to set your own hours. Right. I mean, it's an it's an intentionally nerdy sort of weird job in there that he has and. I think this movie actually could use like less of those scenes. I don't think it. I mean, it does sort of pay off at the end of the movie, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, well, it's his Christmas vacation. He shouldn't be at work, right? It's although you know a big part of the plot hinges on he's expecting this Christmas bonus, so he secretly ordered a, a swimming pool to put in the family home uh, without. You know, when you get a bonus at work, you don't know how much it is, or they might promise to you it to you at work and they say oh by the way we're going to give it to you six months down the line or when we when we're able to a bonus is not something you can count on well it's not something you can count on anymore but it used to be the holiday bonus used to be far more yes that's true uh, in the united states and that's and that's one of the and I, I i think that's whether it's intentional or not that is an undercurrent throughout this film is the uh is the 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 changing uh, of American corporate culture that was that was happening in the 1980s? Uh, this was when uh, CEO pay was starting to get really really bloated. This was when uh, I think this was a, around the time the term downsizing was was first coined. There's just a lot a lot of things going on in American business that for whatever reason are being reflected in this film. Hmm. Uh, what do you, there's a a minor subplot in the movie about the neighbors of the Griswolds played by uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus as Margot and Nicholas Guest as Todd. It doesn't exactly work for me because it just seems like here's two douchebags that you won't feel bad if bad stuff happens to. I mean, it's nice to see Julia Louis-Dreyfus probably best known for playing Elaine on Seinfeld, although she was also on Saturday Night Live for a little bit. Yeah, she, she usually played Marie in the Dining Marie sketches. Yeah. She's also the uh, the nymph in uh, the first Troll movie. Oh, I, I didn't realize that. I've never. Uh, I've only yeah, seen Troll she's, two. She's, she's nude. You can see everything. Might have to watch that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I bet you yeah. do. You old. Uh, and you know the her her partner in the film Nicholas Guest is the brother of Christopher Guest, who has and Christopher Guest has directed. You know, all the these sort of mockumentary movies like Best in Show and, um, well, now I can't think of the titles. 
<laughs> uh, let's see, Best in Show, uh, he also did a Mighty, Mighty Wind, Wind, right. Uh, yeah. Of course, one of the original members of Spinal yes, Tap. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm, 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 I feel safe and confident going on the record saying that he's a comic genius. But that's not who's in the movie. It's his brother, Nicholas Guest. Who... True, which had I been had I been uh, uh, a Christopher Guest fan at this time, I probably would have been disappointed. Yep. Uh, it, it's worth noting the music here is by Angelo Badalamenti, who is a frequent collaborator of David Lynch. And the director, the director picked that composer because he wanted someone that did kind of disturbing, weird music. And I, I don't know, I don't think the score really sticks out in this film. It's it's certainly not nearly as iconically Christmas as the Home Alone. Oh no no no! And that was music by John Williams in those films. Although those, oh here's a, a yes. fun fun thing. Nicholas Guest does uh, he's done some anime voices. Has he like what? Uh, he's Hebe in Ra- uh, Rave Master. He's Rashid in the Cowboy Bebop movie, among other things. Oh okay, uh, I've seen the Cowboy Bebop movie. I also saw he was on a TV series Starship Troopers Roughneck Chronicles, which I thought was enjoyable. He's also a Starfleet cadet in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. How about that? Um, you know, out of the other actors, I think one that's noticeable is uh, one of the relatives, Aunt Bethany, is played by Mae Questel, who was the original <laughs> voice of uh, Betty Boop. Which is pretty damn cool. I can only I can only assume that that's something that that John Hughes had something to do with her getting getting cast because, like a lot of directors from his era, he is enamored with classic uh, American. Yeah, I mean John Hughes is not a director of this film. The director is Jeremy uh, Chechik, well, but well, he, right. he's a writer. Right. He's a writer. I, I he's a producer. So I'm sure. Yeah, no, I think that that's an interesting bet. And uh, this, in fact, Hughes had is based name. off a short story from National Lampoon magazine, just like the first Vacation film was. Uh, so, I mean, this film takes a good bit to get started with all the office politics. and uh, But I think it really picks up when uh, Cousin Eddie and his family come in the film. What is it about Cousin Eddie that works? Well, he's just a real, I guess... There, I, you know, it's two. Well, from a, speaking from a perspective of comedy, uh, two two reasons. One, he's a he's a lovable loser, and two, he's a slow thinker. And those are two things that an audience really, really loves. And you know, he's also he's very he's also very approachable. Like unlike unlike Clark Griswold, he doesn't seem to have something that he's trying to prove every single movie. He just he he's a person that takes life as it comes. Yeah, Clark uh, Griswold seems to be very judgmental. He doesn't really like Cousin Eddie, and he makes that fairly obvious. But uh... Which is something I can't quite get behind, but it might just be my family, but I've got a very strong bond with my cousins. I, I cannot understand not liking your cousins. Well, you know, he's the cousin of, um, of Ellen. He's the cousin of his wife. Oh, an in-law. Yeah, yes. an in-law. So. Okay, now that I completely buy. That'd be a bit uh, different. In-laws are the... <laughs> It's uh yeah, it's different. It's never quite the same as your own family, is it? <laughs> no, 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 not quite. So, uh, uh thinking about this film, you know, the big iconic scene is all the build up with uh, all the Christmas lights on the house. Have you seen any houses that have had crazy Christmas light decorations? Oh, in yeah. In your lifetime? Uh, yeah? they're uh, uh my hometown of Norfolk, Virginia. 
um, just out. Well, I don't even know if it's just outside of Norfolk. It's it's somewhere like between uh, Norfolk and Willoughby. There is a whole neighborhood that it's a tradition that the whole neighborhood does a huge Christmas light display, and you can uh, and you you know and you know they encourage people from all over town, all over the state, to just drive through this neighborhood where every single house has an elaborate lighting display, and it really is gorgeous. You can see the the whole thing just glows from the highway. You cannot miss it. Uh, but actually, you mentioned the the lighting scene. Uh, you know, Clark, of course, makes a big to do about getting the Christmas lights going, including having his family do a really bad drum roll. Yeah. Uh, there is a family that lives uh, actually, I think, about five blocks away from my parents. Who every Christmas they do a huge lighting display. It's all it's all to raise money for the the for the local children's hospital. And, you know, they have a box out, they have this, like, Santa mailbox out front for, for donations. But uh, what they do is they have this whole elaborate lighting display, but it's all synced to music. They have a short-range AM transmitter. You you pull up to the house and you turn to, and you can see the lights all synced to music. And they don't just do music, they also do, like, quotes from some Christmas movies, and that's one of them. They play the audio for the Christmas lighting scene, and do this whole build-up with all the lights, and then just one light comes on on the house when it's all done. Hmm. So it's really, it's really nice, you know. It's 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 something that sticks with you. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. I think, uh, you know, uh, going when I went to middle school and high school and stuff, I lived in Marietta, Georgia, and there was a particular house in a in a neighborhood down the street. That would have an insane thing of Christmas lights every year. I mean, it was like the Griswold house in this Christmas vacation film. But one year, the guy putting the, the lights on the house, like, fell off the ladder and really hurt his back. So he couldn't do it Ooh. afterwards. Um, and, and here in Portland, Oregon, not so far from my house, there's an area called Peacock Lane, where it's sort of like what you were talking about, where it's a street full of houses uh, with all these Christmas lights. But I have not seen this Portland, Oregon display yet. Uh, just because traffic gets so blocked uh, on that street that I need to just kind of like hoof it and walk through it in uh, 2013, I guess, to finally see what it's all about. Cool. But um, so, I mean, back to Christmas Vacation, uh, the buildup of him stapling the lights and him. There's a lot of really good slapstick, I think, with Clark Griswold trying to get the lights set up and then the lights not showing up when he wants to. And so that when you get the scene of the lights actually working... You're kind of rooting for the guy because he's had it fail in front of his whole extended family. And it does get really, really elaborate. So at one point, doesn't he cause such a drain on the power grid that they have to get wired into a nuclear power plant? Not not a power plant, but you see all the other lights in the neighborhood go out. So it it is a pretty elaborate scene in there. Uh Do any of the family members stick out to you? Actually, the uh, the grandparents. For whatever hmm. reason, when I first when I first saw this, uh, the 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 grandparents are just the most h- hilarious thing in the world to me. Just that uh, the guy you couldn't hear a truck driving through a nitroglycerin plant. Yeah. Just this like perfect rubbery ghoulish face with this raspy voice coming out of it. I know just they're 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 bickering back and forth. I, I found very very humorous. I think it's very funny. I don't recall the name of the character, but um, Grandpa. 
not not grandpa. It, it was one of the the grandmas in the movie where it, they're coming in for Christmas dinner, and she puts the cat wrapped in a box as a present, and she puts like a Jello mold with a uh, like cat food in it wrapped as a Christmas present. Oh, yeah, I thought that was a pretty funny joke. And uh, I mean, Chevy Chase loves doing slapstick. There's a funny scene early in the film. They go through a big rigmarole to get the Christmas tree, and the, the tree is full of sap. And then it's uh, Clark Griswold. He's going to bed for the night, and he tries to read a magazine, and his pages are stuck to the magazine, and he's trying to get it off because of all the sap from the tree. And then he tries to turn off the lamp, and the lamp is stuck to his hand. And uh, which. Which actually, that's not too far from reality. Uh, uh, my, uh, you know, back when I used to live in, in Norfolk, Virginia, my parents always get a real tree each year. And when I got, uh, once I got to the age where I was big enough to help cart that tree around, that happens. You just get, you know, it, once if you get the right kind of Douglas fir, you just get sap all over your hands, and that stuff does not come off unless you use like a chemical solvent. Mm. I, uh, you know, I can't say that that's happened to me, but I do recall growing up having homemade, or not homemade, uh, real Christmas trees. That uh, Homemade Christmas Right, just the whole ordeal of watering them and, and everything just is so, I mean, I've had a plastic tree for years and that's been fine for me. Well, you know, if you want to get technical, every, uh, every, every Christmas tree is whittled from a larger tree. Yeah, well, I guess you're right. Um... Let's see. Oh, uh, the uh, something else that, that that was a scene that because I guess the, the first the first time I saw this it was it was with it was with my family uh, my cousins interestingly enough a scene that my family really really loved was the whole bit where they're uh, where they're 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 going sledding down the hill and there's that whole like that metal sledding disc that, yeah for whatever reason is having like a lubricant sprayed on it. It, it's a product that Clark Griswold has made at work. It's some weird food additive thing that he sprays on it. I think because well, isn't it like it, it's like like a like a nonstick spray? It is, yeah. And so, he, yeah. which it seems like it seems like a pretty big length to go to to justify the gag because you know with as accident prone as Clark Griswold is. I could totally buy him, like, trying to just sled on this thing and then going across the highway. I'm not sure why he needs this frictionless spray. And I guess that's the other thing. Like, the movie is really missing something because Clark has invented, like, a super lubricant. That should... Forget the Christmas bonus. He should be patenting that and retiring as a millionaire because think of all the industrial applications for this thing. Well, I mean, that scene with the high-speed thing reminded me of a, a terrifying news story I read today. Uh, today being date of recording, January 9th, 2013, for anyone who cares. Uh, in Russia, uh, a, a father... In Russia? Uh, yeah, a, a father of a, a family, uh, uh, Denis Burukov, died in... I guess they have something... I've never seen this before. It's it's a big plastic ball called a Zorb that you walk in... That you're kind of, like, put into, and then you roll... Oh, yeah, yeah, I've always wanted okay, to... Okay, and, and you roll it down a ski slope. And there's two Russian men and uh, two Russian guys inside, and uh, and one of them died and the other one didn't uh, miraculously. But like they're going down the groomed hill, and then the ball rolls off the wrong way, and uh, goes off the side of the, the the cliff instead of the beginner's slope. 
well, that's first and foremost, you're really only supposed to have one person in there, unless it's the kind where you're strapped inside, because if two people are bouncing around in there, that's just nothing but a series You're fitted of into harnesses like inside the Zorb, but um, uh, just that, I mean, it's a shame that someone died, and uh, I, I, I guess typically when they do this, they're supposed to have fences all around the, the hill, which wasn't the case in this place. But it's um it's a real shame. But just that sort of madcap thing of going down the hill at a high speed reminded me of that news story. But uh, seatbelts save lives, so buckle up. Right, and uh, I don't. You know, you said your family likes that scene. I think that scene, uh, this scene, this movie does have some cartoonish elements. And this thing that just sort of takes me out of the movie. I'm not sure why. I think it works best when all the gr- extended Griswold uh, family is in the house. Well, I think what what it is is that is that you could remove that scene from the movie and no one would notice. It's just there to be funny, but it doesn't come from anywhere and it doesn't go anywhere. No, uh, uh, it doesn't. And you do have, you know, I think the stuff that works better is in the beginning of the film where they're driving around towards the Christmas tree and Clark isn't paying attention. And you get a, a really nice stunt of the car uh, being underneath, the, like underneath two semi-trucks. On the highway. Oh yes, like, that's that, terrifying. That actually, no, it, it actually it scared me as a kid because like I I think I didn't look at semi trucks quite the same <laughs> way because at least at the time you know, my my parents drove a very small car and it was totally believable that it might get underneath a semi. Well, at any time in driving on a highway and stuff, you want to keep your distance from those semi trucks because they just kind of barrel down at, at full speeds. I mean, the amount of times I've been cut off by semi trucks has been quite a few and you just gotta yeah i mean that's sort of believable that could happen i guess not that they survive it or that the top of the car gets chopped off or whatever but i um yeah you know another thing with this film is it's kind of annoying how it all hinges on the gift to Clark Griswold, where he's supposed to get the bonus to build the swimming pool in the back of his house. And then it turns out he doesn't get it. He just gets a free membership for the Jelly of the Month Club. And he's like, oh, I could really yeah, kill my is... boss. And then based on that, uh, Cousin Eddie goes off and kidnaps his boss and wraps him up like a Christmas present and <laughs> brings him back to the house. Which is, is weird that, that, that Cousin Eddie thinks that committing a felony would be the way to deal with this. And maybe he feels like he's making it up to Clark Griswold because there's the whole subplot with uh, Cousin Eddie's family where Cousin Eddie, uh, you know, can't, has a plate in his head. He can't hold a job. He can't afford presents for his own kids. And so Clark takes it upon himself to buy presents for uh, Cousin Eddie's kids. Which is which is really sweet. It is. But it's, it's also, it's... It's it's one of those kind of ups, upsetting things because because isn't isn't the reason they're in the camper? It's not that they're on vacation; it's that he lost their house and he just hasn't told them. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah that that's that's all, all like in in that moment, Ernie, because it's not like you know they're on vacation and then find out that the house is gone. Ernie is, for all intents and purposes, lying to his family, or at least you know withholding yeah. a very important sure. truth. And I can I can I guess. The, the the older I get, the less I can sympathize with that kind of thing. Now, what do you think about a sentimental moment earlier in the film when the family drives off, they accidentally lock Clark Griswold in the attic, and he sees an old roll of film, and he watches old film of his family as, I think, like a Ray Charles song or something plays, 
and he's sort of he's sort of crying watching old footage of himself as a kid. I uh, I didn't get it as a kid, but I get it now. I I really appreciate that scene now. Yeah, I'm not sure it it works at such a serious moment compared to the rest of the film. And I love the payoff when the family comes back and they just open up, uh, you know, the, the spot where the ladder is on the attic and Clark just falls right through to the bottom. <laughs> well, you got to cut through the treacle. You've had, yes. you've had your John Hughes schmaltz. Oh, yeah. Now you got to end on a gag. Oh, John Hughes does like to put schmaltz in there somehow. And I think ending it on a gag is a good way to end that scene. What? what? Well, the thing is, I think that's like the perfect John Hughes schmaltzy theme. It's a scene. It's it's nostalgic. It has a character that's alone. It's in the suburbs, which so, is a big thing with his films. Yeah, just the discovery of this cherished old thing. Yeah. Although, actually, a scene that that did stick with me as a as a, a kid when Clark looks out into his backyard and has a fantasy of what it's going to be like with a ah pool. right sure. Yeah, and it's and it's like and it's and it's like the pool scene at Fast Times at Ridgemont High, yeah. only it's all scored to Melakaliki Maka. It is, and that's a that's a funny tune to score it to, but somehow it works, and it also calls to mind. In uh, I know you haven't seen this film, but in the very first Vacation film, there's a whole bit of business where Clark Griswold is at a hotel. He's in a swimming pool with a a girl played by Christy Brinkley that he met at the bar. And he decides to go skinny dipping with her in the middle of the night while his wife and kids are in their hotel room. And, wow, and that is that is a douchebag. It's a douchebag move, and he gets caught, and they're both in the pool naked. Uh, so it's, yeah, douchebag green, he gets caught. So I think some of it's sort of a callback to that. But that, uh, you know, this film is rated PG, I think. Well, of course, you don't see anything, which is like they cut away right before you'd see any business. Uh, well, yeah, but like the piece. second European vacation was PG-13. The original vacation was rated R. So uh, it's part of that tradition. And I think if you would have seen like bare breast in that scene, it would have not fit with the tone of this film. On Apocrypals, we talk about the parts of the Bible that a lot of people skip over. Like the wizard battles. The angel jacuzzis. A goat full of sins. 500 drunk elephants and a man named Porky Party and yes that's all really in there all this and more on Apocrypals every other week on the Greenlit Podcast Network hello everyone we're superhero stuff you should know and if you think you know about superheroes and comic books think again we got romance we got action romance we got comedy we got everything you need man come on down to superhero stuff you should know for all your superhero needs uh, ro- I, I don't know about this romance what part are you talking about we've got all kinds of sketches and then deep dives on top of that come on down to superhero stuff you should know all right so come on down to su- wait why did i say come on down to superhero stuff you should know part of the greenlit podcast network well, but there is something kind of weirdly unsavory about that scene because I th- I could totally buy I think it, I, I totally like the idea of a fantasy of, of, of him having a fantasy of what his pool is going to be like but his fant- but his fantasy the very first thing that comes to mind is watching someone who isn't his wife s- stripping in the pool and you get the surrealism of him looking through the window and uh, you see like the bikini top tossed towards the window and hit the window <laughs> and it's like that's not really happening, but they're doing it to get a. Well, that's what he's, that's what he's imagining. imagining that's is happening. I, I, my, my fantasies are very tactile. I, I imagine that kind of. Yeah. Thing. So. 
I mean, like we talked earlier about near the end of the film, uh, Cousin Eddie brains the, the boss, played by Brian Doyle, Doyle Murray, back to the house, and sort of they do shame on you for not doing the Christmas uh, bonus. And then his uh, the boss's wife calls like the cops and a whole SWAT team bust in to the tune of Christmas music. And, and that kind of takes me out of the movie. Like, I don't know. I don't think that whole subplot works as well. Well, you know what's weird is that, like, Ernie kidnapping the boss, that is creating some interesting tension. Yeah. But the SWAT team automatically breaks that tension. It does. Oddly enough, having a bunch of highly trained people show up with firearms destroys the tension of the scene because it really is a personal conflict. But now it's become now it's become a major incident, and all that all the personal aspects of the conflict are lost. Yeah, and you get the weird bit at the end where there's an explosion in the sewer from where cousin Eddie, you know, dumped all his poop from the uh, the shitter as he calls it. And the RV in there, and it uh, there's a cigar that goes off, it lights an explosion, and the Santa Claus thing in the front of the house like flies around the you know flies in the air like Santa Claus flying. Yeah, that that's a really I I consider that to be the the movie's most forced gag. I, I do think it's funny that Aunt Bethany, played by Mae Questel, does sing the Star Spangled Banner as it happens. It's it's cute, but at the same time, I think the character has some sort of dementia. I think so. Uh, they, I mean, she's the character whose cat is in a Christmas box, a uh, Christmas present, and everything. But it, it it tries to go pull the heartstrings, I think, in that moment with everyone sitting the Star Spangled Banner and watching the explosions. And uh, I, I don't think it quite earns it. And I'm not sure, it, like you said, the transition from the boss being captured to the SWAT team to all these crazy explosions and pyrotechnics at the end of the film. I don't think the ending is very satisfying, although I think the movie has a lot of good laughs in it, like when they cut open the turkey yeah. and it's just hollow because it's completely burnt. Oh, yeah, and it'll just kind of caves it in. It caves in on itself. Uh, are there any other scenes that stick out to you for National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? You know, I think... Well, actually, just for the only only one, and that's just because of the the whole Rube Goldberginess of it. When Clark when Clark is on the roof and uh, swings off the gutter, and frozen water from the gutter flies into the neighbor's bedroom <laughs> and gets was like gets all over their their piano. Yeah, it's a CD system. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and just like. Uh, like I, I appreciate the 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 thinking that went into the engineering of that gag. Although at the same time, it is just random destruction of someone else's property. Uh, there's I don't know. There's sort of there's there's a meanness to that gag simply because of the way it ano- uh, anonymously gets somebody else's stuff fucked. Well, up. there is, and there's no real payoff to. I mean, the, the characters, uh, are the annoying neighbors, uh, played by Julia Louis Dreyfus and Nicholas Guest, they get kind of tormented throughout the first half of the film, and then they kind of disappear. Yeah, I almost I almost wonder if there was an earlier version of the script where they were much more important. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Even like a scene where they'd show up at the Griswolds at the. I mean, there is a scene where she shows up, I guess, at the house and the squirrel jumps on her. But <laughs> oh, that's right, because there's a squirrel living in the tree. Yes, isn't yeah, yeah. Uh, somehow it hasn't left the tree since then, or they haven't noticed. But oh, it's terrified. I'm I think sure. so. And uh, and it's been living off of the uh, holiday. But it would be nice to see just a little bit more payoff to that sort of. 
set up or maybe see him get revenge on the Griswold somehow. I don't know. I think that all that stuff with them seems really forced to me. And yet, I, even though I'm complaining, I still enjoy the movie. And I'm not, I can't quite explain why. I've watched it every Christmas for uh, quite some time now. And no, I still it, laugh. it is fun. It is. It, uh, I, I don't, I, I, I don't, it's it's not a tradition for me the way planes trains and automobiles is but it's it's a decent enough christmas movie and it's and there's a i think there are reasons why it's why it's still watched today sure so uh now we're going to rate this movie on a scale of 1 to 5 stars uh I'll begin I guess I give National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation uh, I think 3 and a half out of 5 stars I think it's it's a fun christmas movie it it has its flaws with its pacing I think it could have had a, mo- a more... I think it would have focused more on the family. It would have been more uh, entertaining. I don't think the stuff with him at work works very well, nor does the ending. But uh, I, I watch it year after year. I still really enjoy it. So uh, I give uh, National Lampoon's Christmas, Christmas Vacation three and a half out of five stars. I'll, I'm going to echo that. I'm going to give it th- three and a half... Uh, and the only reason I'm not going to go all the way to a, f- a four is that is as much as I liked this film when I was a kid, I I in the past ten years I don't think I've ever really felt compelled to watch it. I I don't feel I I I'm not not feeling myself drawn back to it now. Hmm. So I think that's fair. Now we'll go on to our another segment. Pitch a sequel. And we'll pretend there's no sequels made to this film. Um. So if I was pitching a sequel directly to uh, Christmas Vacation, I think uh, what you'd have to do is do uh, another holiday, because Christmas Vacation was really successful. So what's another vacation uh, people take? Well, let's say Valentine's Day Vacation. Uh-huh. For some reason, the Griswolds, they want to rekindle uh, their, their romance, and uh, they want to take the family on a trip to celebrate it. And I, I say this knowing in the back of my mind, in Vegas vacation, they go to Vegas to go through a, a get, you know, remarried or whatever, get a second marriage Which ceremony. we've already established does not exist in this time. Right. We haven't. So, I mean, pretending Vegas vacation, of course, didn't happen, which we've established. Uh, National Lampoon's uh, Valentine vacation is what I'd call it. Deals with the Griswolds are taking a uh, going on a cruise ship. And you get to see all the madcap things that happen to them on a cruise ship. At some point, they get stranded. They have to find their way back to uh, back to land, back to safety. They get to, you get to see jokes about buffets on a cruise line, uh, you know, terrible stand-up comedy acts on a cruise line, and uh, uh, something with sharks, I'm sure. So that, that's my pitch for a pitch a sequel for Christmas Vacation. Okay. I'm glad you thought of a shark gag. Yeah. Audiences like that kind of thing. Well, I suppose I would do. Uh, I would do uh, National Lamp- National Lampoon South American. Vacation. Oh, okay. And in this one, uh, you know, uh, it's it's the summer. Uh, the the, the uh, Griswolds are uh, the you know the Griswolds want to have another family vacation, but they can't. Because there have been problems at the food additive company, it's been mismanaged, there's been some fraud, some embezzlement, and the company may be going belly up, so they just can't, you know, they can't spend, they're not in a position where they can spend money on doing a, uh, a big family vacation, and that's when 
uncle, or that's when cousin Ernie shows up in a mostly new RV, who says who says that his family is is taking a uh, is taking a vacation uh, on the RV, and so why don't the Griswolds come along? Hmm. So it's it's uh, the Griswold family and Ernie's family in this pressure cooker of an RV, uh, traveling further and further south because they're gonna go they're gonna go to they're gonna go to Mexico, uh, and. Uh, and you know Clark and Clark's kind of having with uh, dealing with a midlife crisis because basically his life has peaked several years ago and now he's worried that it's all going to be downhill from here with what's going on in the company if he loses his job he's he's getting older he doesn't know if anyone's going to want to hire an older guy like him whereas Ernie everything's going great his family has plenty of money they've got this new RV so once they get into once they get into Mexico it, it eventually comes out why Ernie's doing so well He's been smuggling methamphetamines and heroin for a Colombian drug cartel. And that now the whole f- and and that this whole vacation is just a cover for his last big haul before he gets out. Uh and uh eventually because you always have to have this happen, uh you know, uh Eddie's going to be is going to be the target of a hit from like another another cartel. And uh, towards the end of the movie, he and Clark get handcuffed together and go on the run from both uh, uh, the both the law and the cartels. That's a great idea. I just see a few flaws. You refer to the cousin as Ernie. His name is Eddie. Eddie. Well, it's, it's easy to get confused. It, it can yeah, happen. Okay. And the other thing that you said. That's his alias. Said, his oh, alias when he's smuggling it drugs. It is Ernie. <laughs> it's Ernie. That could work. Uh, the other thing is you said South American vacation, both uh, Mexico and Colombia, or uh, technically, like what Central America? Well, okay, uh, uh, National Latin Lampoons, American vacation, uh, National National Lampoons, uh, south of the border. There vacation. you go. Solid, solid ideas there for pitch a sequel. <laughs> so, um, I guess let's take a, a break now to talk about our sponsored, uh, really quick, or not sponsors, affiliates. Why do I? I will provide musical accompaniment. Da, 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 da. So, if you like Sequel Cast and uh, want to support the show, because we get other Sequel Cast shows like Sequel Cast Special, uh, Sequel Commentary, and uh, an upcoming one, Video Game Sequel Cast, to premiere sometime in February or March of 2013, uh, you can donate by going to SequelCast.com, uh, and we got a donate button. You click on there, you get a link to our PayPal account, and you can donate directly to the show. Every little bit helps because uh, podcasting ain't free. And uh, you can also check out SequelCast merchandise, and uh, you can hear SequelCast on Stitcher, which is an app uh, and also a website where you can listen to podcast streaming without having to download the whole thing. Uh, it's a much instant way to get to podcast. And you can sign up for Stitcher and listen to get SequelCast added as a favorite at stitcher.com slash SequelCast. We also got links to affiliates like uh, Amazon. If you uh, click on our Amazon link uh, at SequelCast.com. Uh, before you do your next round of shopping over there, uh, we get a cut of, uh, you know, whatever you get. You don't have to get what you click on on the link. And uh, every little bit helps the sequel cast. So uh, go to sequelcast.com and check some of that stuff out. And also, if you want to get in contact with us, our email is sequelcast at gmail.com. And uh, you can check out the Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast. There you go. All right. So, uh... Hey! Hey Matt, what you watching? What you watching, Thrasher? That's a good question. Next segment, <laughs> we just talk about what uh, stuff we've been watching, as you can guess from the title. <laughs> that isn't related to the movie we're talking about. Um, 
I had a chance to sit down and watch a few John Hughes movies. Oh, yeah. And uh, one I, I watched some of, and the other I watched the whole thing. The one I watched the entire movie of was uh, uh, Plays, Trains, and Automobiles, starring John Candy and Steve Martin. Because you, you talked awesome. about that in our holiday movies episode, and I'd never seen it. And uh, I think it's real funny. I felt really sympathetic towards John Candy, and I thought that Steve Martin was kind of an asshole. <laughs> and Yeah, he is. What do you think about the music score in that movie? It's very 80s. Yeah, but it, but it works. I guess, in, in my mind, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is the perfect John Hughes mm. film, and pretty close to being a perfect holiday film. I like the reveal with uh, John Candy's character towards the end of the film. I think it's a nice moment. Yeah, it's a good confession. And, of course, always have to do the mess around. You always... Everybody's doing the mess around. Ba, ba, da, 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 da. <laughs> uh, the other John Hughes film I caught, and I only watched uh, half of this because I was running out of time, was um, She's Having a Baby. Is she now? Is, uh, is what it's called. And uh, it's, a, it's a film he directed uh, starring Kevin Bacon and Elizabeth McGovern and Alec Baldwin. And it's sort of loosely based on uh, parts of John Hughes's life uh, where about it's about a young man that becomes an advertising executive who's married and then he has a child and it has a lot of real surrealistic sequences where you know they uh the family goes home to the the in-laws and they're saying oh you know you uh you don't make enough money to have kids and then you get a, a cutaway to a sequence with uh Kevin Bacon and uh his wife uh played by Elizabeth McGovern uh, dressed in rags as hobos holding their baby over a trash can fire to warm it. Or possibly eat it. Or possibly eat it. Uh, that's also true. And I, I found those cutaways just took me so much out of the film, it felt almost more like something you'd see. It felt very modern, I guess, as something you'd see in Family Guy or something. Where it's just uh, full of cutaways every second. But uh, from what I saw, I thought it was okay. I'll have to finish watching the film to uh, hmm. to see... It, um, but you have a uh, supporting role in there is played by, oh, what's the actor's name? He's from, he's from the cop show where he showed his ass on screen a lot. He has a mustache. Oh, NYPD Blue, uh, Detective Sifowitz, James Kahn. It's not James Kahn, but yeah, it is Detective uh, Sifowitz. Can't think of, no, I take it back. It's not Sifowitz. Ha, huh, I got it confused. It looks like him. But it is James Kahn. No, it's not James Kahn. But in the, the actor I'm thinking of, he looks like Sifowitz, but he's not. He's actually John Ashton from Beverly Hills Cop, who was a oh, tagger. Okay. But just with the mustache and the body type, I thought it was uh, Sifowitz. That's funny. So, um, anyway, I thought that that was okay. Uh, what's some stuff you've been watching, cool. Thrasher? Well, and this this actually, I, I suppose, feeds back into my pitch for uh, National Lampoon South of the Border Vacation. Uh uh, after uh, after coming home from my own Christmas vacation, uh, my girlfriend and I started watching Breaking Bad. We have just tonight finished seasons one through four. Oh, wow. Okay. I am thoroughly enjoying that. I have not seen that series, but it's one of those literally uh, a few times a week at work. People go, oh, have you seen the latest Breaking Bad? And like even the head of the, the company where I work at. And my day job is like, oh, I, I've stayed up all night watching five episodes of Breaking Bad. It's a, it's the type of show you can do that with. They, they, there's, 
despite the fact that you know you know the the way the way the all the episodes flow flow together there's a tremendous amount of variety in in tone and in the types of storytelling used on that show how intense is it pretty damn intense mm-hmm. uh i th- there's a it's it is a it is a uh level of of there's a level of gruesomeness in the violence, but also in a lot of the characters' behavior that you just flat out do not see on television or in movies. I just can't, I just see, I need to sit down and watch the show, but I just always think of the actor that's the lead in Breaking Bad was also the dad in Malcolm in the Middle. That only helps. Really? Yeah, I mean, well, because starting out, you could almost believe it's the same character. Hmm. He he start he starts out just sort of so mild mannered and put upon, and then it's all uh, it's a roller coaster ride from there. Okay, interesting. Um, but I think this is going to be what he's remembered for, as opposed to Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, that could that could well be the case. I, I read an interview with him in Entertainment Weekly where he said you know they offered him the lead in the show and he's like oh it's from. Uh, what is it? AMC? No, A and E. Yeah, I believe it is AMC. AMC yes. And uh, he said, "You guys are doing original series now. I, I don't really know what to think." And then they showed him the pilot, Mad Men. And he's like, "Oh wow, this is really good. This will be a good series." You're kind of <laughs> because I mean, what they do it's similar to HBO series where it's a serialized story, but like it's told really well. And you know, aside from like the language and maybe some of the violence, it, it still gets pretty extreme with its content. So, no, it's 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 well worth oh, okay. it. Uh, it's it it really it's it's earned its reputation. It's wonderful. I see. I'll have to uh, definitely check it out. I, I guess uh, something else I've been um, in this case playing recently oh. is I sat down and tried uh, the DC Universe Online. How is that? It's okay. I, I'm playing on the uh, PlayStation 3, but, I mean, you know, it's free to play, and the, um, a lot of these games are free to play now. So I, I thought the idea of playing one of those on the TV would be sort of different. And I just did the introductory sequence. There's a lot of customization for the character, which is, is pretty cool. But then after the introductory sequence, you're kind of dumped into the main hub, and I'm sort of very confused as to what to do next. I'm sure when I find a few quest givers and things, it'll help. But one thing I think is a bit weird is so you can pick whether you have a hero or a villain as your guy, which makes sense. It's a superhero game, right? But then after that, you get to pick who is your mentor. And if you're a good guy, your choice is between Superman, Batman, or Wonder Woman. And it made me think, makes sense. with all the different characters in DC Universe, don't you think they'd have more than three mentors? If you're... Well, you'd think that they'd have a Green Lantern in there simply because there is a whole team of Green Lanterns, and they do have mentors. Yeah, and you can make your characters be kind of like Green Lantern or Batman or whatever. There's kind of preset customizations where they're similar to those characters. And Green Lantern is a character in the game. Uh, but I decided to have Superman as my person. And um, if you play DC Universe Online, my name on there is Sequel Cast. Although I'm not sure if you're playing on the PlayStation, if it's different with, um, you know, if you can play with the PC people or not. That I'm not really sure about. So, what's something else you've been watching or playing or whatever? Oh gosh, well, let me see. I, uh, I mean, actually, I, I started reading uh, Ursula K. Le Guin's uh, "The Left Hand of Darkness," which has proven to be a, a wonderful novel. 
Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's it's, it's hailed as one of the the classics of, of science fiction, and I think that's that's I'm about uh, about a third of the way through it, and I feel like that's being borne out. It's a it, it's it's a wonderful story, and it does a it it takes it takes you by surprise because the uh, thing, things start to ev- things start to evolve in the narrative very very quickly. The story the story you start reading isn't the story that you're necessarily going to get. Hmm. And is it a book in a series or? Uh, no, as near as I can tell, it stands alone. Oh, okay. Because um, I've read some of the Ursula K. Le Guin books of Earthsea. Earthsea, that's it. So, pretty neat. I'll have to check more of that out. Um, no, it's it's that's well worth reading. It has my hearty endorsement. Yeah. Oh, and when I was talking about DC Universe Online, I mentioned if you're a hero, you can pick your mentor, Superman, Batman, or Wonder Woman. Guess who it is for the villains? Uh, Luthor, the Joker, yep. and Sinestro? Cersei. Okay. Because Wonder Woman is the one for the... Uh, Does the Joker guy. just kill you if he becomes your mentor? I have no idea. They did get Mark Hamill to voice the Joker for the video game, so... Very cool. That's, uh, I think you almost have to at this point. Although they've had other people play the Joker in a lot of the direct-to-video uh, cartoons. I don't know. It's going to be hard to beat Mark. It, Hamill. It's very hard to beat Mark Hamill. Just, just the laugh alone is uh, what got him the job in the first place. And uh, yeah, great, great performance. So, uh, <laughs> pretty cool. I think here in the sequel cast, we've done a good job of this episode talking about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And be sure to tune in next week where we talk about uh, National Lampoon's Vegas vacation. And we'll even touch on uh, some news of an upcoming vacation film and the direct-to-video um, sort of sequel spinoff called National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 2, Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure. It'll be you, me, and Nick Papa Giorgio on uh, the next yeah, episode? Yeah, Nick Papa Giorgio and Wayne Newton himself will be there talking about <laughs> Vegas vacation. So uh, for the sequel cast, this is Matt. And Thrasher. Saying. You know, some people can't make that noise with their mouth. They Really, they can't do that. They the, can't roll the tongue against the, their palate. Can you, uh, can you do the bilabial fricative? Uh, I don't know what that is. I've never heard it called that. Okay. Isn't that an awesome name? That is. Uh, why don't you say it again for the listeners? Uh, bilabial fricative. So now you can say you learned about the bilabial fricative from the sequel cast. Uh, I learned about it from the George Carlin Class Clown album. Wonderful oh, album. Oh, classic album. Uh, again, check us out at sequelcast.com or facebook.com slash sequelcast. Uh, You're